Live from Hollywood, California, it's the Nighttime Show! With us, as always, our head writer, Matt Walker. I'm the voice of the Nighttime Show, Mike Black. Today, we welcome the revolutionary comic book artist who created Venom, Spawn, and is the founder of Image Comics. Not to mention he did one badass Kickstarter, Todd McFarlane! And now, the host of the Nighttime Show... He's so full of necroplasm that his eyes are green. Stephen Kramer Glickman! <laughs> facts are facts. Mike Black is back. Uh, this is uh, so exciting. Uh, Todd McFarlane, thank you so much for being here. Sure. Thanks for giving me the time today, gentlemen. Of course. Of course. Um, it is, uh, it's an absolute honor. I mean, we, we all have your, your uh, comic books and stuff that you've worked on. Your, uh, your artwork throughout the years and, and uh, has just completely changed comic books time and time again. Uh, it's, a, it's, it's really an awesome – it's an honor, man. It, it really is. Yeah. Um, I wanted to start off by by talking to you about uh, where you grew up. Where where did you uh, grow up? Well, uh, I was born in Canada, uh, but at early age, about five, Dad decided he was going to go look for work elsewhere. So uh, he took us to California. So uh, oh, wow. I spent my formative years in California, like both in the like the Orange County area and the San Jose area pre. This how old I am, pre Silicon Valley. Oh, that, um, that's actually and, very similar to me. I I'm from London, Ontario, and my family moved to uh, California when I was uh, about five years old, about six years old. Yeah, so that, yeah. so I was in you know again the early '60s and mid '60s, and and then at uh, the age of 14, moved back up to my hometown, Calgary, Alberta, up in up in Canada, and uh, quickly found that. All the kids there uh, had been playing hockey since they were five, <laughs> and I was a summer sport kid. So uh, you know, I became one of the sort of best ball players in town because they were like, "Oh my God, the California kid!" Uh, <laughs> and, and, and it was very easy when when you're 14. Let me just tell you, when they say, "Hey, Todd, you got a choice. You're 14. You can either play baseball, and none of us play baseball here because it's cold, and you're, you're awesome because you're from California." Yeah. Or you can play hockey, and these kids have been playing for eight years, and you'll barely be able to carry the puck back. <laughs> yeah. so life, life gets very clear at fourteen with those <laughs> options. So I stayed. I stayed. Uh, played your strengths. I stayed into the sports, and then and then after high school, uh, I stayed up in Canada for high school, and then came down to the states on a baseball scholarship. Played, played Pac-10 baseball, and. Wow. Near the end of that, got uh, three weeks before I graduated college, ended up getting my first job at Marvel Comics. Mm-hmm. Oh what, what school did you play at in the Pac-10? That was a small school called Eastern Washington, oh, just okay. outside of uh, uh, Spokane. Okay. Uh, and at, that, at that point, it used to be called the NORPAC, but they amalgamated the North and the South, never changed the number. Uh, but that division was our school, Eastern, Gonzaga, uh, Washington State, University of Washington, Portland, Portland State, Oregon, Oregon State. That's that. That was the North. Very cool. What what type of work did your parents do? Uh, my dad was in the printing business, so he just he just moved. I mean, we moved constantly. So yeah. I I think it wasn't until I was in grade ten that I and and ten and eleven that I was ended at one school and started the same school for the first time in my life. So wow, he was he was a bit of a gypsy. So I I, <laughs> I did the same thing once I got older. That's cool. Yeah. 
Now, like as a, a, a multi-hyphenate talented person, you know, uh, you, uh, you know, I know that you started drawing at a young age. When, when do you remember like people saying, like seeing your stuff and going, "Oh, this is like you've you've got some you've got something here. This is this is talent." I, I it's it's interesting because I I remember you know my memories probably go back to kindergarten but it, uh, i i won an award my mom still saved the the, the pamphlet the program book you know I, that I, I got selected for my artwork they were picking like kids from all grades uh this is i was living in the, the orange county area uh so even at five you know somewhere that art was starting to spring forward i remember i painted this picture of a baseball player it ended up winning you know, for kindergarten. And then they put it up at uh, the angel stadium and it was, wow. my dad goes, you want to go see your artwork? And that was the first base. So it was what I, I went to go see my artwork and it was the first baseball game I ever saw. So oh, it, cool. it was art and baseball at the same time. So, oh my God. That must've been amazing. <laughs> oh, look, when you're watching black and white sports on a, on a, on a TV and you get to see a, a game for the first time with your own eyes, yeah. And the vivid colors of a stadium and the green, how how glowing it is and the white of the uniforms are mm-hmm. almost blinding. It was Yeah. Yeah, it was it was it was it was magic to me. I remember that I remember that day. Just walking into a stadium for the first time and being like, Someone yep. someone built this. You yeah. know, people made this thing that we're in, this amazing thing, you know. Oh yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh yeah. Uh so when when did it start to become like I want to do this professionally? So the, so again uh, so so fast forward from kindergarten I you know I be I become a doodler if you will and and that that kid you know that best artist in the class kid right yeah. so that was me all the way through through uh, many years and then it was it was pretty late uh, I was I was probably about sixteen when I bought my first comic book, I mean, I, I probably had a few in my hands up prior to then because I had brothers and I'm sure my mom and dad. Do you remember what the first one up. was that you bought? That that I bought? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. 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 I went in, I went into a corner store. I was up in Canada at that point. It was amazing. Spider-Man 167, Dr. Wow. Strange, uh, 23, uh, Hulk, uh, 214 and Avengers 157. So there was a spinner rack. I mean, back then they didn't have comic short stores, so you just had the spinner rack. Yeah. So uh, the store had like you know two three months worth of some of the titles. So I I bought like five six, um, you know, Marvel Tales, which was a reprint. So I felt a little bit sort of burnt on those ones where it's like what great <laughs> yeah. cover, but this is like old stuff. But I went home. I fell for that also. Yeah, I I read them all, and then and then I went back the next day and started buying more, and and it just became uh, an obsession. So what I ended up doing at that point was, you know, sort of falling for comic books, and then saying, hey, why don't I just hone my my skills because at that point it was all over the place i didn't have any particular style right why don't i teach myself this thing called the you know american superhero comic book drawing and so i i started doing that from about the age of 16 up my mom and dad 
one Christmas bought me the greatest gift they ever could have given me, which was, I said, hey, you know, I like comic books. I want to learn to draw. And they bought me a, a drafting table so I could draw at a table. Oh, that's uh, cool. And I used that table till I was about 40 years old, the same table. <laughs> all, every page of Spider-Man. Wow. Everything was drawn on it. You know, so again, where some parents go, an artist, you know, why don't you become an accountant and get a real job? Um, so that thing's kind of like uh, the Stan Lee uh, typewriter that he had. Yeah, that's it. That's it. I, I, you know, because again, it, it's sort of like saying it was it was effortless. And, it, and I don't think mom and dad understood how impactful that was. It was sort of like me saying, hey, I want to play baseball. And they, and they got me a glove, right? I mean, you need it. Right. You need it, the tool. You need it, the tool. And for me, it was. I needed a table to draw it. So my, they, my God, they, that's they provided it. That kind Go of support ahead. too, you know, having having yeah, like, that's really cool. Having parents like support something, even in you know, even just buying you the table that uh, you know uh, turned out to be able to to uh, you know give you the belief and the and the you know that that there is some you've got people behind you, you know, it's, you're not well, just the, on your The thing own. is I, w- I would take that support and it doesn't even have to be for people like myself who ended up wanting to get a career. I, I, I think it's just the support of your kids almost in anything you do, but especially for, I've seen it before with geekdom. Right. And, mm-hmm. uh, and so there was one, you know, I'll, I'll give you one story. I was up in Toronto and, and amazing Spider-Man 300 had come out. Uh, so it was sort of a big deal. It was an anniversary book at that point. Mm-hmm. And the lines were pretty long. And again, back then there was no cell phones. So the show was supposed to end at five, but there was a big lineup. And I try to make sure that everybody who's in line always gets an autograph. So I stayed longer to do it. That's very and cool. This kid came up to me about 10 or 11 and he sort of hands me sort of handshaking his, you know, mint condition of Bond or Spider-Man 300. And I signed it for him. And just as I signed it for him, I hear somebody sort of screaming in the background going, Jimmy, Jimmy, where the hell are you? Where the hell are you? And she comes running up and she goes, I've been waiting outside on the curb. You said you're going to be out at five, right? But again, there was no cell phone to say, hey, I'm going to be an ex- extra half an hour. Yeah. Uh, but he wanted, he'd wanted. he been in line for a couple hours and he wanted his book signed. So I had just finished signing it and she grabbed the book and folded it twice. Oh, I didn't oh. fold the comic book twice. <laughs> oh, no. Twice. And then, and then shoved it in her purse and goes, get to the car. And the kid burst into tears <laughs> oh, and left. God. And, and, and I, I, and I, mom doesn't even know in that moment, uh, you know, obviously, uh, you know, she was put off for half an hour, but yeah. she doesn't know that, she crushed that kid, and yeah. to somewhere along the line, there is sort of an origin to all serial killers. Right? <laughs> so, yeah. we, uh, I just go, Mom, what do you, you don't know what to do. So now when I'm at shows and I see parents <laughs> in line with their kids, and they're just saying, yeah, I'm here because my kid wants to be here, wow, and they've got yeah. a smile on their face. Uh, like, I, I always applaud them because I, I, don't, I don't think you know sort of how important it is that you're not making – fun or making light or making them feel bad because they want to collect or they have some goofy hobby, right? Yeah. Just, like, and, just and let it, them be. Just let them have their personality. Yeah, and back then there was uh, much more of a stigma to it, you know? Oh, yeah. And uh, yeah, yeah. everything was yeah, con- basically I mean, a Star Trek convention, whole, <laughs> you know? Yeah, back then it was a whole, you know, Trekkies, right? Right, you know, right. That, that yeah. You had the fans there. So, And I've had plenty of interviews were back then and even today uh, where you know sometimes the reporter will go what's the what's the silliest 
question, you know, the, the weirdest question, the, you know, yeah, that yeah. one. Uh, and, and my answer is always the same, but it's like, I've never, I've never had that. I've never had that question. Here's why. If it's important for the human being in front of me to ask the question, it's important enough for me to answer it. Right. So even if though it may seem silly to you, who's right. stronger for the Hulk, may seem, it's important to that person that they asked it. Right. So I owe them the dignity of giving them his sort of good an answer as I can give it. Because why? Because every person standing in front of me has at some point in their life supported some of the product that I've done, which basically means they've given me some of their money. Uh, and then it's allowed me to have a career and, and put food on the table and, 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 and have a good life. Right. So yeah. I like, there, I, there's no, there's nothing, there's nothing anybody, any fan could do that could bother me. As a matter of fact, it's, it's actually the opposite. I'm, I'm, I'm thankful to them. Right. Well, well, well we're, we're actually going to challenge that right now yeah. with a <laughs> well, section wait, we no, like no, to call wait. Stupid Questions. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm totally quit. I'm totally kidding. <laughs> but, okay. but, you know, since you mentioned it, Thor or the Hulk, who would it be? <laughs> Who, who would win? Yeah. Usually, usually they're asking me, like, I, I got Spawn, and Spawn yeah. wins every fight. So I'm <laughs> yeah. You, you know who would win? Buy. That woman who right. folded a, cold, a comic book over twice. Like, that's really yeah. imp- That was a She-Hulk right there, being able to do that. Yeah, come on. Come on. I, like, it, it, yeah, I, 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 that is that, brutal. That, that, that moment was burnt in my mind with that kid. That would be they, traumatic. They just got crushed. You crushed your kid's soul. Like, come on, parents. Oh, You're supposed to do the opposite. Man. You're supposed to do the come opposite. On. You're supposed to uplift your children, not crush them. What's yeah. funny is I saw almost the opposite of that at Comic-Con two years ago. I saw a, a bunch of young kids, like, they just looked lost. And the security was talking to them, and they were like, look, we can't find our dad. He's dressed like Captain America. <laughs> Uh, can you please help us find him? And and so they're like, we're on the lookout. And I just happened to see a Captain America like uh, like one block later. And I was like, do you have a couple of kids? And he was like, yeah, I do. And it's like, they're looking for you. You want to go back that way? Wow. Because wow, you, you, like, you got like a dozen, if not more, Captain America yeah. running around. Right. right. I was like, I'm just going to take the gamble on this guy because he looks kind of lost too. <laughs> that that might have been the year when everybody was fat Thor. So <laughs> yes. yeah, possibly. Yeah. Yeah. The, the other thing that I do sometimes is like you get uh, the young parents will get in line. And sometimes, unfortunately, the line can get kind of long and you sure. know, it's a little bit boring and dreadful. Uh, and then they've got their young children with them, right? Yeah. And you can see that by the time they get to me, their kids are like, are just completely out of the game, right? They're like <laughs> yeah. this. It's like waiting in a stupid long line at Disneyland, but there's no teacup at the end of it, right? <laughs> it's a guy. So, yeah, this is <laughs> a dude here. And so they sit there. So I, I sometimes I do this thing where, I mean, some of them are a little bit older and they say, hey, this is a guy who drew Spider-Man and he did Venom. And sometimes they'll perk up. Yeah, but sometimes there's like you know they're they're young enough that I go nah not even the Spider-Man thing's gonna work, uh, so <laughs> I usually ask them like hey what's your favorite show, what you what you what do you like to watch on TV and no matter what their answer is I always tell them I'm the inventor, of it. <laughs> I, I created it. That's smart. So then their <laughs> eyes perk up and then they'll say. Yeah, I like the Teletubbies or whatever. I'm making yeah. it up. Um, and, or, or, or I like Frozen or whatever. I'm going, oh, yeah, I invented it. And then I'm, I'm good enough 
of an artist that I can almost fake anything. I take a little piece of paper and I do a little bad drawing of one of the characters of whatever show it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, or I have to use my phone real quick to, to, if it's an obscure thing. And then I do a little drawing for it and then I give it to the kid. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, they're like their eyes are wide open, and you could see they like slap their parents, going, "Oh my God! What is this? <laughs> he was the creator. Of I thought we were in line this whole time, and I've been complaining. And like, Mom, Dad, this is ridiculous. You should have told me." And then you could see the parents as we're walking away, give me that wink, like. Thank yeah. you. This would make it manageable for the rest of the day. Oh, yeah. man. So oh, now man. I want you to release a book of things that you didn't create but told kids. Because <laughs> <laughs> I bet that artwork is amazing. Yeah, so, yeah I got lots of them. I've got lots of them. And have you ever waited in a long line for somebody? Like when you were younger? Like is that something you ever did? Uh, no. You know what? I never did. I, ne- mm-hmm. I never – I never uh, – yeah, I mean, I went to San Diego Comic-Con years and years ago, uh, right before I broke in. Mm-hmm. So that would have been the mid-80s, yeah. um, trying to, you know, show my portfolio. Um, so it wasn't, I wasn't there to get autographs. Yeah. I don't, I don't yeah. even remember that being a thing. Um, but I do remember, you know, going there, and there was one huge line for showing your, your portfolio to see if you could get some tips and maybe they'd hire you on the spot or whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and a guy named Jim Shooter, who at that time was editor in chief at Marvel, uh, w- was looking at people's portfolio and I'm like, Oh my gosh. And he was only going to be there for like two or two hours or something. And I could see this line by the time you give 10 minutes to every person, I, I, I was never going to get there. And I was looking at the kids around me and they were way better than me too. Mm-hmm. Oh, I go, sure. go, even if I get there, I, I'm not as good as them. So, you always have to come up with a backup plan. And that one was, hmm, what's, what's plan B? And plan B was that you can count on one thing that every human being uh, has to do. And that's breathe and go to the bathroom. And so <laughs> yes. I, I waited for Shooter, Jim Shooter, to like have to take a potty break. And then I just <laughs> followed him in. I pretend to sort of, you know, take a pee and shake it. And then, yeah. and then when he went to wash his hands, I went to wash my hands. And then as he's leaving, I'm going, hey, Mr. Shooter, you know, I've got my portfolio. Mind if you look at it? Uh-huh. And he could have just said, hey, I'm doing it right now. Get in line. But he stopped and he gave me his five-minute spiel and gave me a bunch of points. He didn't hire me mm-hmm. or anything. I didn't get a job. So that's not the end. But he gave me enough information that the next time I came back or the next time I handed my samples and they just got that much better. And eventually I ended up getting a job. So I, like at some point, you have to advocate for yourself, right? I mean, yeah. I've met a lot of a lot of people, and they're very shy, and they're like, "Well, I don't know if I can do that." And I, I mean, life life can be kind of simple. Like, if you don't give a shit about yourself, nobody else cares more about you than you, right? So, yeah. if when you wake up in the morning, there is no human being. There's eight billion of us. There's no human being that wakes up that cares about your life more than you. I don't care, even your mom. Even your mom, your yeah. mom has to make sure she's healthy and wise and everything's going good before she can take care of the kids, right? So she has to make sure that number one is taken care of first and then you. So you, you, if, if you don't have the personality to advocate and show your stuff, then here's what's going to happen. Those of us, myself included, mm-hmm. that are less talented perhaps uh, and, and have less skill – 
but are hustling, yeah, are, we're going to get the job. We're going to get the job over you, right? I've, I've said before plenty of times, if you're in a room with eight other artists, myself included, and I'm the worst artist out of eight, eight, eight people in the room, <laughs> I can get the job. And you know how I get the job? Because I'm the only one that raises his hand when they ask for the work. So wow. if, yeah. if, if people don't want to just figure out how to get there, then, then I'm always the guy that's basically, you know, raising his hand. I'm, I, I keep saying I'm donkey and Shrek, like pick me, pick me, pick me. Right? <laughs> yeah. And eventually Shrek didn't want him right. Of all the people, he didn't want him, Right. but it was, he was mm. the only one that said, I'll go with you on this adventure. So, okay. You don't have to be the best. You just, you just have to be confident. That's half the battle. And Stephen was Shrek. That's true. I was. <laughs> I was. On Broadway. Yeah. yeah. Back in the day. <laughs> right. See? <laughs> yeah, see, you got you to gotta step forward always. Um, I got, well, when, when you were uh, submitting yourself to Marvel and to, and to different comic book companies, I heard that you uh, would, would pick – uh, kind of abstract characters, not characters that were you weren't picking like the most famous character that they have. You were picking like right. side characters and and uh, and submitting artwork that way. Is was yeah. that a, a helpful you know move to to get to get hired? I I, I thought it was, and here's 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 what you the abstract for people listening. What, what basically less popular characters, and here's why I chose that because. If you if you looked at the top books, the most popular books, they had the best artists on them. So even if I could draw those characters, there was never any way that I was going to basically bump that person off that book, right. especially as an amateur. So what I was what I did was, given that I collected all the books, is that as much as the top selling books and the best artists were inspirational, and they basically gave me a lot of momentum, saying, "Yeah, I, someday it'd be cool if I could sort of." be good like them the the guys in, who gave me the most enthusiasm were the ones that i thought weren't good on the mediocre books that weren't selling so i would a lot of times take those characters and make the drawings of those and send them to the editors of those books in hopes that maybe they go hey i've got a mediocre artist here's a amateur mediocre artist mm, you know what maybe if the guy gets behind his deadline I, I'll give the guy a job and, and it took about three years and I sent out about 700 samples, you know, wow. and got about three, all, almost 300 rejection letters. Uh, and, and then eventually somebody sort of gave a phone call and said, Hey, you know, I, and at that point I, I'm, I'm guessing I had a bit of a reputation at this, at the company because I <laughs> yeah. was sending in like 12, samples because they had about 12 editors so i sent one to every editor every month like clockwork so they just i think they just want hey it's that kid that canadian kid's giving us 12 more packages (laughs) again somebody for the love of god give him a job uh and and get him out of our hair so we only get one so they they started me on some obscure book what do you remember what do you remember what what the uh obscure book was or or what some of the what, what, you're, what, look, you're asking me. You're, it's like asking an athlete. Do you remember your first at bat? Yeah, I know, probably. Of course yeah. you do. Yeah, yeah. Of, course oh, of course you do. Yeah. Okay. So, so the the like because it's the moment. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. So it was a book that was uh, at that point. Marvel had a side uh, uh, set of books uh, coming from what they call the Epic line, and there was some kind of sort of ownership on those ones or something. It was a weird. It was a weird 
a thing, but there was a book called Steve Englehart's Coyote. Uh, Steve Englehart had been doing, uh, you know, the Avengers and some other books as a writer, uh, but he had created this book called Coyote. Uh, and and all of a sudden I got a phone call, and what happened is I had sent the my sample to the X Men editor because I sent it to everybody, and then she sent it to the editor at Epic, and and the Epic editor turned to Steve Engelhart and said, hey, hey, you, you know how you need somebody on that 10-page backup story? Take a look at these. And I happened to have done some coyote samples because I didn't think the guy doing them at the time was very good, right? Oh, wow. so, so, there's, so it actually ended up working. But he, he saw it and Steve phoned and said, hey, I don't need anybody on coyote because I've got an artist, but uh, I've got this 10-page backup. You want to you jump on that? And that was it. That was my mm-hmm. that was my first gig. Ten, and ten page ten page backup at at sixty bucks a page. How were you supporting yourself during this time when you're sending in all these submissions? What were you doing besides drawing things to submit? Uh, so I, I was um I, I was a, a ball player. So I went through to mm-hmm. school. I played back ten baseball. I was on a baseball scholarship. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so between you know baseball practice twice a day going to school so this is just a, college part of the scholarship mm-hmm. i had a, a i was working as a janitor on campus you know and when i had the chance on the weekends i'd go into spokane and work at a comic shop so wow. it was i was going to school um, okay. and, and getting a degree and and sending off samples so and doing my my comic book drawings from about midnight to two in the morning every night and sending it all off. And then eventually after three years of doing that, three weeks before I graduated college, I, I, I got, I got the offer. So wow. I, I mean, I, I, although I do have a, a college degree, I never, I never ended up having to use it. I was going to go in and become a graphic designer. Like I thought I'd be doing Michelin tire ads, you know, <laughs> just, yeah. you know, that's what I was going to do, be a graphic artist. Uh, but I ended up jumping into the comic books a little bit sooner than I thought. That's yeah. so awesome. <laughs> Hey, uh, Mike, uh, you know what time it is? What time is it? It's time for a Neft Vodka moment. You know, at Neft Vodka, they say, life is a story, make it a good one. And the Nighttime Show podcast is all about good stories. Uh, one of my favorite storytellers we've had on the show, uh, this amazing guy, uh, movie producer, uh, Michael Uslan. You remember, oh, yeah, you remember that, that guy was great. He was so upset when he saw the Batman and Robin campy 60s Adam West TV show that he saved up all of his money and bought the rights to Batman. And now he produces every single Batman movie that comes out. Yeah, we're talking Joker, Justice League, uh, Suicide Squad, everything. Yeah, the Dark Knight. If it's got pointy ears, he's getting a piece of it. (laughs) (laughs) You bet. And you know it's a great way to celebrate uh, owning the rights to the Batman film franchise? What would that be? Uh, Having a Neft Vodka Martini. Uh, Just go to buyneftvodka.com and uh, go pick up some Neft Vodka. It is absolutely phenomenal. It's the best vodka vodka out there go to buy neftvodka.com that's buy n-e-f-t vodka.com uh it comes in an unbreakable barrel and it keeps of uh, the vodka cold six hours after it's come out of the uh, refrigerator go to buy neftvodka.com buy n-e-f-t vodka.com all right let's get back to the show um what now once you got over to uh to marvel uh, who are some of the people that you're running into like what what's what it's got to be like fantasy camp you know being there at, at you know being a fan and then suddenly being right in the middle of it what was that what was that like 
Well, uh, you know, by that point, you know, things like uh, uh, FedEx uh, were becoming sort of the norm. And what it, yeah. it allowed was you could live almost anywhere and send it in. So it used to be you had to be in the New York area, right? So at this point, I'm breaking into to Marvel. I'm, I'm, I'm still living up in the state of Washington, which mm-hmm. is as far away as you can get from New York City. Uh, but I... The, you know, once a year we trekked down to San Diego Comic Con, which was not at the convention center at this point. It was still on the hotels downtown, right? So mm. we're I'm going way back in the time machine. Yeah. Um, but I do remember going to my first dinner as a quote unquote professional, uh, and sitting at this table. And we went out for dinner in Old Town, uh, you know, one of the Mexican places, and and sitting there with. Like Ralph Macchio, he was an editor, and Archie Goodwin, who was a writer editor, and Jim Shooter at that point was there. Steve Englehart was there. Wow. So you know, um, to me, these were some of the royalty of comic books uh, writing, and and so just to be sitting with them, it's like a, a big deal. Um, you know, a little bit later, I would meet some of the sort of the legends of uh, on the artistic side. Uh, yeah. that, that I, I collected both sort of the newer ones and then some of the old sort of vets that were there uh, amongst them Jack Kirby who yeah. they called the king that mm-hmm. was that was you know the Elvis Presley literally of our business um, what was so, he like uh, an old sweet gentle kind man who when you think about the number of pages he drew it, it's just staggering i mean it's, yeah. it's you know because you know the occupation of an artist is they give you a blank piece of paper and then you have to sort of sort of go into your brain and then you have to fill that page and you do it and sometimes you can do it in four hours and sometimes it takes you two days and you fill the page and the moment you fill the page they take it away and they give you another blank page <laughs> and then you fill that and you take yeah. it away and you and you keep doing that either until you retire or you die Right. So I like the tens of thousands of pages that Jack Kirby had. It was amazing. So now fast forward, I'll give you a a Jack Kirby Mm -hmm. story. Now fast forward. I'm, I'm in comics. I've made my name and reputation, whatever else. Somebody phones up and says, Hey, we're doing a a book and Jack's uh, writing it and doing some covers. Uh, We wondered if you wanted to ink it. And I'm like, what? I, 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 you want to know if I want to, ink over Jack Kirby's artwork. <laughs> uh, yeah. And I've been, in, what are you talking about? I, I've been in business for, in the art business now for 10, 12 years. I've won all the awards, everything like, and, and, and sales and what it like, but it's like, Oh my gosh, I get to ink Jack Kirby. Yeah. So I inked, I inked this page and uh, the process is, is that, you know, somebody gives you the page, it's, it's pencils. So I, I put ink on it. So it's permanent. That's what they are going to print. And then you have to erase the page so it's a clean page so they can print it. And I remember erasing that page yeah. and and looking at the shavings and sitting there going, oh, my God, those are Jack Kirby's pencils. I just erased <laughs> Jack Kirby's oh pencils. God. Like, it just seemed... It seemed blasphemous. <laughs> Todd, who the hell are you yeah. to erase Jack Kirby pencil? And so I actually kept, it was dumb. This is how geeky I am. I actually kept those shavings in the little bag for a long time because oh, I couldn't wow. bear to just throw them out because it would just be 
sacrilegious to yeah. sort of say, <laughs> ah, Jack Kirby's pencils, throw them in the garbage. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, they sent it off, and they, and, and they came back, and they said, hey, Jack really liked it. Um, he, he wants to know if you want to do another page. And I went, yeah, oh. on one condition. On one condition. I can I do it on an overlay, which basically means that you put sort of like a tracing paste mm-hmm. piece of paper over it, and then I ink it so I don't have to touch Jack's pencils, so I never have to erase <laughs> Jack's Kirby pencils <laughs> wow. ever again. And they and of yeah. course they just want yeah Todd whatever we don't care. <laughs> sure, hey. yeah. So they sent it to me. I did the overlay. They're good. I, my catalog guilt was saved. I sent it <laughs> off, and then. You know, maybe about three weeks later, I get a phone call, and it's I and it's Jack Kirby's on the other line, and he goes, "Hey, Todd, Jack, I just wanted to phone you, and tell you how wonderful those two covers were. They were great. You did a great job. And oh, you know, I just, you know, be on the lookout. I, I, I sent you a little gift, and I just want to say thanks. I'm like, oh my gosh, oh, thanks, wow. Jack. Like, uh, you didn't have to do it. Literally." An hour later, ding dong, FedEx drops off a box, and I and I open the FedEx box and I pull out and he sent me back my overlay of my ink. So I'm like, oh my gosh, I get to I get to keep the ink oh, of Jack oh, yeah. Kirby. And then I reach in and he sent me the original pencils. Mm-hmm. That, oh, and he wrote a thing on there that says, "Dear Todd, thanks for the great work. Keep it up." Jack, right? And and so I'm like, oh my God, I've got to, so of all the things that I've got, my prized possession is my original pencils with Jack Kirby that he sent back to me. And then if that wasn't enough, I reach in for a third time and he throws in a page of Captain America inked by Barry Windsor Smith from the Bicentennial Treasury Edition. Oh my just God. As a throw, just as a throw-in. And I'm like, wow. oh my God, that, Best day. I mean, I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm a fully formed man at this point, but best day ever. A, oh, yeah. I felt like I was six years old. So. Oh, yeah. God, that is amazing. That's amazing. What an extraordinary. What an awesome story. <laughs> that is so extraordinary. Yeah, I yeah. Love- like, like I said, you get you, you you hang around long enough. I'm getting old enough now that you just you 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 get these moments where you you just sort of t- you don't know how big they were especially because a few years later jack dies right? right um and so you just go oh man and then you go oh like you're there so you know you know again years later i end up spending a lot of time with uh, stan lee right especially yeah. probably the last 10 years of his life and you know i've probably been on stage with Stan more than any other human being. You know, we used to travel around and do this sort of little shtick of ours. Uh-huh. Um, it, it started from way back when he they gave him some kind of almost personal uh, premiere for Iron Man, and they did it in uh, Vegas. Yeah. And Stan's hearing wasn't very good at that point. And uh, somebody from his staff said, hey, Todd, uh, we, want, we were wondering if you could come up and basically MC this thing. And I went, yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. No, no, no problem. It'd be cool. Stan Lee. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had met him prior to that. So, again, I had some relationship with him, but not, not nearly what it would turn into. Right. Uh, and so I got up there and, and you know, did my thing. And, and Stan at the end came up and said, oh, thanks, Todd. It was wonderful. And I'm like, okay, cool. Thanks, Dan. And then the next day, I run into Stan again, and he goes, Todd, 
come over here, young man. Oh my God! Last night you were great. And I went, no, no, you, 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 you said that already last night. Thanks. And he's like, no, I didn't hear a thing you said last night. I he, was, he was going deaf. So he goes, they recorded it, and I took it up to my room, and then I was able to turn up the volume, and then I got to hear it. And he goes, oh my God. How would you like to come with me on the road to all the shows and mm -hmm. you can be the guy on stage with me? Because he was a little bit vain at that point, didn't mm -hmm. want to wear, wear uh, a hearing aid. Mm -hmm. So yeah. he needed somebody to basically decipher what was being said when you opened it up to questions and things like that. Sure, yeah. yeah. Not in a way, not in a way that made him seem like he was deaf, right? So you, right. There, was a, there was a nuance to it. Um, and so I, I sort of have to do this translation and not make it look obvious that Stan couldn't hear. Um, Brilliant. Later on, he ended up getting a hearing aid and then it, it sort of changed his whole world. Cause like, yeah. man, you dumbass. Yeah. Like why don't you get this like five years earlier? Um, but you know, so I ended up uh, spending all that time and then you get to that moment where he was getting pretty old uh, and, and was losing a little bit of his energy and he's probably 93 at this point. Mm. And we do, you know, a panel um, in Phoenix, Arizona, which happened to coincidentally be where I live. Uh, and I remember walking up on the stage that time, um, and he turned to me and he goes, "Todd, you do most of the talk, and I, I just, I, I just don't don't have the energy for this." And I'd never, in all the times I was with Stan, I, I mean, he was the most energetic human being I'd ever heard. Yeah. I, 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 it, it, it took me aback. When just as we're rocking up on stage, anyways, we do the interview. I thought it was I thought it was low energy. Um, it ends up being the last time Stan was ever on a stage. Wow! Right? He oh, never never to be on a stage ever again. So I used to do this thing where I take like selfies with them, you know, go hey everybody in the crowd, let's take a selfie mm -hmm. here. And Stan, I don't think to this day understood what a selfie was, right? Because <laughs> so, you he, he always like getting close to my camera. I'm go Stan, get back. Because <laughs> I've got some goofy ones. Yeah, um, sure. But there's a there's a, I've got that selfie, and then somebody took one like five feet from us that I look at, going man, again, if you knew that was going to be the last time, right? Mm -hmm. The last public yeah. sort of time that he talked i think he did one show later but he all he did was sign and that was it yeah. um that he was going to talk it would have you know you would have made it a bigger deal right it would yeah. it would be like you know sending somebody off for retirement and making sure that and everybody that was there in attendance would have would have it would have been more important if everybody knew this was the last but you didn't right nobody nobody knew what was what was going to come course. in the future there so right. uh but you know you you mm -hmm. You still go, oh, oh that's cool. That's, yeah, you know, that's I mean, cool. you got to spend the last time with them. Hey, uh, a quick thing I want to talk about, uh, Mike Black. I, I think this is uh, something that we we really should talk about, yeah. and uh, it's a um, a company yes. that was founded in 1983 in Tokyo, Japan. Of course, I'm talking about the Zoom Corporation. Zoom. Now, if, if it wasn't for Zoom, and Matt knows this, we would not be able to do our show. Um, they make the best audio equipment in the world. Um, we w Which one are we using right now? We, we're recording onto a Zoom live track L8 right now, and when we go do our live events at conventions and stuff, we often use the Zoom H6, and they're both just fantastic pieces of equipment. You plug your microphones in, you plug your headphones in, and you're good to go. Yeah, I mean, whether you're a classically trained pianist or a run-and-gun film, 
filmmaker or a podcaster like uh, you know like us um yep yeah i do a ton of podcasts and i can tell by listening when they're using a zoom and when they're not yeah, it's the uh, mark of excellence. It yeah. really is. Uh, go check it. Uh, go check out all their stuff over at zoom-na.com. That's zoom-na.com. Be professional for God's sake. Zoom-na.com. All right. Okay. Let's get back to the show. Now, what was it like at some point in your career? You're going on. It's in the the late '90s. You've been around for a while, um, and you spin off into Image Comics at some point how did that come about like how was it even a decision to decide that you wanted to go out and start this company on your own because at the time i remember i'm not really a comic book guy but at the time it was big in the press in general that there was this new comic book company coming out and it was like going to challenge marvel and dc and and what was going to happen with that how did that sort of all come together so again for some of your listeners who aren't sort of fluent comic books you know, everybody sort of knows Marvel and DC. They're the sort of the big two, right? Right. Uh, we're no, we're number three, and we have been literally since our inception. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, there were a couple months there where we were number two. We actually were ahead of DC, but we've been number three for you know since 1992. For so for 28 plus years. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, and and so the 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 origin of that was that you know when you're an artist or creator, you have other peers and buddies that you hang out with. So a couple of my buddies were Rob Liefeld. He was an artist mm-hmm. yeah. at Marvel at that time and, and Eric Larson. And we used to just, you know, chit chat with each other sometimes because you're trying to get through a page. So you just get them on the phone and just talk silly stuff while you're drawing just to sort of drone away the time. Um, and, and Rob was talking about doing his own book anyways. He was going to do his own book. He was going to, you know, Maybe he was going to continue doing stuff at Marvel, but he he was definitely going to go do his own book. And Eric was talking about doing his own book. And at this point, I was grown somewhat disenchanted with sort of the system. Yeah. And I was I was I was thinking of doing my own book. And so, what the conversation sort of morphed into over time was mm-hmm. why why are we all thinking about doing a book separate uh, and all going off and scattered in three different places places people have been doing this for 30 40 years and nobody cares mm-hmm. right you yeah. get lost you get lost in the in, in the forest what if what if what if we all sort of quit at the same time and did our three books in the same place now at that point we didn't have a name yet it wasn't called image but that was the onus of it that it's like hey eric rob and todd let's just do our own books mm-hmm. uh and so we decided we were going to do that very quickly rob says hey i've got a buddy uh named jim valentino i was wondering you know, he does independent comic books. Can he join? Yeah, sure. Cool. So all of a sudden, what was an idea that began and we were three of us, we said, let's do four. The four of us then say, hey, you know what? It's time to go to, to Marvel and tell them we're quitting, right? We're going to go quit. So mm-hmm. we, we fly, Rob and I, Rob Lysel and I fly to New York and we're going to we're gonna tell Marvel and then and then unknown to DC, we're going to tell DC the same thing, that, that we're quitting and we're going to go on our own. And in a serendipitous sort of, you know, 48 hours, uh, um, we're in New York. Uh, there was some kind of auction going on. Um, I, I see uh, Mark Silvestri in the corner, but Jim Lee was there. Jim Lee at this point, for people who don't know, was sort of at the top of the game. He was he was the guy. He was, yeah. he was the golden boy, and his art was staggeringly good. He was on X-Men um, He was doing X-Men. He was doing the top book, so he was the guy. 
And I run into him at the auction and, and he says, Hey, what are you here for, Todd? And so I give him the spiel. And I can be very convincing. You know, yeah. they'll tell you that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I just said, Hey, here's what we got. Here's what we're doing. Da 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 da. And in short order, much to my surprise, Jim says, Hey, can I join? Right? And and to me, I've I've said plenty of times, that was the moment. That was that yeah. was a big moment because Rob and I and Eric to some degree, but but Rob and I, we were like rebels. We were the bad boys, right? And so I think the industry was like, yeah, in Marvel and DC, yeah, of course, of course the bad boys are going to go and do their own thing. It's just mm-hmm. what right. they do. But Jim was the choir boy, and Jim was the guy that was the company man. He was the sort of the face of it. And when when he said yes, then I knew like, wow, this 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 is going to work way bigger than I thought because. Because it's now going to send a message that not only the rebels are going, although we were also very popular, um, but that Jim, the top guy who was the company man, was willing to go. And then Jim says, uh, and I got my buddy, Will Stratasio. I was talking to him. Is it okay oh if he comes God. with us? Too? And yeah. it's like, yeah. So all of a sudden we went from four. We land in New York with four. Uh, you know, Eric, Rob, Jim, uh, Valentino, and myself. Um that, that all of a sudden we pick up five, six. So now you've got a murderer's row, basically. <laughs> yeah. oh, and then and then I'm going, wow, we're going to have the meeting in the morning with uh, the the publisher and, and editor-in-chief at Marvel. And as we walk into the lobby of the hotel I'm staying at, again, Mark Sylvester, who I'd seen at the auction, is standing in the lobby. <laughs> and I went, uh, Mark, you got a minute? And he's like, <laughs> yeah, sure. And then I gave him the spiel, and I go, hey, here's what's happening. Here's what we're doing. Jim mm-hmm. Lee just joined, bum, bum, bum. And by the way, if you want to join, you got to give me a call at 7 in the morning because we've got a meeting at 8, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. and, and he was like, so, so if I want to change my, my trajectory of my career, I, I have to tell you in the next eight hours? <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's yeah. it. Yeah. But, you know, sure as heck, at, at 7 in the morning, Phone rang. Mark just said, uh, "You know what? I'll go. I'm go. I'm, I'm with you." So, bam! All of a sudden, we were at seven. I'm like, "Wow!" It just oh, it just went. And Yikes. and and to put it in perspective, so people understand, the the seven of us, the seven people at that moment, accounted for 44 of the top 50 selling books for the entire year if you took all the sales like you know we of, of all the books oh, man. 44 top 50 out of 5,000 books that came out that year we were 44 top, so we were, we were a murderer's row yeah. so, we were, someone was going to be pissed <laughs> yeah. so someone go, out there we go up to, we, we go up to the, the marvel and and have the conversation and tell them you know why we're leaving uh, and we're not we're not going. Uh, the as the elevator's closing at the end of that conversation, and we're getting on the elevator. The editor in chief, uh, Tom DeFalco, says, I, "I I remember going, hey, if it doesn't work out, you're welcome back." I remember when it closed that line <laughs> that it was it yeah. closed, and it was my wife and Jim Lee and and, mm-hmm. and myself in there, and it, and I remember looking at Jim going, "Wow." They think we're going to fail, right? I mean, it just just that, yeah. and and it's a guy like me who's competitive because, like I said, I played baseball. Yeah, I just I took it as a, like, damn it, like, no, right? And Jim Lee, again, he was going to 
originally be a doctor. So this is a smart human being, right? So, <laughs> yeah. and, and, and what we were doing, just so everybody understands, we were going to print comic books. My dad had been in the printing business his yeah. entire life. It's ink on paper, right? Mm-hmm. It's ink on paper. It is not complicated. They want you to believe it. <laughs> Corporations <laughs> always want you to think that what they're doing is way more complicated, but, yeah. but it's ink on paper. Uh, and so I just went, oh my gosh, like uh, they're, they're underselling us, Jim. Like we're, we're like, I, I was determined I would never go back at that point. Cause I just, I, I, just to say, I would, I would never humiliate myself to go, no, I got to go back. Uh, we walked across the street and then, and at that time in, in our business, if you got fired or got mad at Marvel, you went to DC. If you got fired or got mad at DC, you went to Marvel. Yeah, all you right. did was ping pong back and forth. That's all you did. Sure. So we walked over to, to DC, which is only a few blocks away. And and they think now they hit the mother load, right? They, <laughs> they, they think go, you're coming in. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Jim Lee at that point had never, ever, ever been to the DC office. Like oh, I had done some work man. at I had done some work at DC and Rob Liefeld done some work at DC. But Jim Lee, who, again, was the golden boy, had never even stepped. And they you could just see their eyes light up. And, <laughs> and in quick order, they had about 15, 16 of their people in a, in a conference room. And we were all sitting there. And then we had to drop the bombshell and go, oh, by the way, we're here to tell you that we just quit Marvel. And they're like, yeah. <laughs> and, going, and we're not working for you either. And some of them were really angry. They were angry. They're like, why in the hell would you come here and rub our face into it? And we weren't there, just to be clear. We weren't there to rub their face in it. What we were there was to tell them the same reasons why we had quit Marvel and, and to basically say to both those companies, we're not coming back. Mm -hmm. There's nothing you can say or do that is basically going to get us to change our mind. We're just giving you this information as to why we're quitting because you may want to do something about that because next week you may get another seven Mm -hmm. walking in here quitting. I don't know why you want to keep bleeding your creative people, right? Mm -hmm. So, why don't you take care of us a little bit better? Because, I mean, earlier, a few years earlier, I was trying to start, because I was a maniac, I was trying to start a, a union, but I couldn't, couldn't get my, my, my brethren to sort of close rank. Mm-hmm. It, it, yeah. it was a frustrating experience. So this was sort of our mini union. We're just going to go and do it. Uh, they did. Once we left, once we left, they, they changed some of the things that they were doing that bettered the community. So even the people that thought we were idiots or, or were jealous of us, they ended up getting a better deal because of our thing. That's cool. But I, I remember Amazing. when I was sitting at DC, they were sitting there going, well, Todd, I don't understand. Why don't you just come to work for to DC? You know, we, we, we treat our freelancers better than, than Marvel. And we just came out with this contract here that was, you know, for the betterment of the community, the, the freelance community and the, you know, and and I want yeah. Let me just let me let me. I understand that's very kind of you. Let me just ask you one question: When you wrote and put together this document to make the creative community better and and make our lives better, at any time in this process of this document of bettering the creative community, did you ask any creative people about it? <laughs> And, and, and let me tell you, I'm old enough now, 
a pregnant pause will <laughs> get you an answer. Mm-hmm. Like if anybody yeah. ever hesitates, then the answer, like I knew what the answer was. Yeah. So it was a rhetorical right. question. Yeah. Right. But it was, but again, it was like, of course you didn't. Right. Yeah. This is the arrogance of the companies for me, from my point of view yeah, at that point, totally. is that, is that you just care about us so much that even when you do a document about us, you don't even ask one of us, like, mm-hmm. What would you guys like that would make it be better for you guys? Like, not not one of us. I, it didn't have to be me or Jim or anybody in that room. It just had to be any of us, and, and you couldn't be bothered, right? Because you only employ 200, 300 of them each, maybe maybe more than that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, but you, you, I, I don't know. That was it. That was, that was where my head was at. I just wow. – I couldn't that take awesome. that mindset of how sort of unappreciated we were given that – some of us, Jim Lee and Rob and myself and Mark, we were selling a lot of books and putting a lot of money in their pockets, and we were still just a commodity to them. Yeah. And that's so that was it. That was the beginning of, of the beginning of of image, and and we took off, and and we each came up with our own books, and mine was Spawn, a character I'd created when I was <laughs> in high school, uh, when I was teaching myself superhero comic book, and it ended up coming out, setting a, a record for the most sales by an independent comic. I, I had yeah, you, you hold prior. You hold Guinness Book World Records uh, for that. Yeah, so I, yeah, when I was at Marvel, the, I, 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 I hold the record for the biggest sales for, by a single creator on Spider-Man, right? Yeah. So that, that's in the Guinness Book. And then, and then I essentially did the same thing once we went independent. So for the, the most sales by an individual creator, I own both the corporate and non-corporate version of both of those. And then, and then recently sort of age me up, uh, you know, spawn got to issue 301 and it's the longest running creator owned book in the history of mankind. So I I sort of take a pride in, in it being around 28 years later and the person who created it is still at the at the steering wheel of of, of making all the decisions. So cool. And you've had a movie, an animated series. Uh, yeah, I mean, we have to mention. Uh, uh, the video game. Have you played Mortal Kombat 11 yet? <laughs> uh, you know, I'm not very good at it, so I usually leave that to my son and send him to the office. But, uh, yeah, he, you know, the, I, I lent the character into the DLC release there of, of that one and, and just – you know, told them trying, you know, I've, I've dealt with corporate, you know, cause again, with my toy company, yeah, yeah. Uh, I started the toy company and I, I deal with, you know, big corporations all the time with well, using their licenses. Uh, I, I gotta so say though, with, he fights like spawn. <laughs> like yeah, they, they well, really well, did well, a well, great job. Thing, I thought, you know, the, the thing that I wanted out of it and they, and they delivered was I, I turned to them and, and said, look at I'm I'm not going to be like a, a corporation here. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to create a character and make them move and make them do things in your game so that somebody who knows nothing about Spawn, who's never heard of the character, who's never heard of me, doesn't know anything about Image Comics, nothing. Yeah. Right? They're just video game addicts and, more importantly, uh, fans of Mortal Kombat. will play that character called Prawn or Spam or whatever they want to call it. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, and and say that guy's the coolest guy. That's, yeah. mm-hmm. that's what I need you to do. And don't <laughs> worry if it matches anything that was in the comic book exclusively. Don't stop it. Stop it. Don't be loyal 
make the coolest Mortal Kombat figure you can, and I'm sure there will be enough on there that will still be recognizable as Spawn. And and they, I thought I thought they did it once they saw that to be a truism because they started yeah. sort of stretching themselves, and then they saw I was approving everything. They're going, oh my god, I thought letting us get crazy and that was it i was i go if you're gonna if you're gonna hear any comment from me it's that you're not pushing yourselves enough you're not you're not getting crazy enough we uh we had keith david on the podcast and he talked he talked about how much uh spawn meant the you know means to the black community as as having a a a superhero you know and and just i i just think it's such a brilliant character and he voiced him again for the game too (laughs) oh he did yeah oh that's so so great yeah he did in the in the mortal kombat Right. Besides yeah. the yeah. HBO, mm-hmm. he did the three, the voice for three seasons on HBO. Yeah. Where we won a couple of Emmys for that. Uh, he he came back and and yeah, Mortal Kombat hired him uh, to to do the voice on that. But but here's here's a fact too, which is why what he said I've I've heard it more than once. And Jamie Fox, who's attached to the to the movie that we're gonna that we're gonna do here, or I'll die, um, <laughs> has said the same thing. And the reason that he he has an impact is that Spawn was the first minority superhero character to have his own full-length feature. Yeah. Six months later, you got Blade uh, came out. Right. But the first one, the first one is Spawn. And so when I talk to, to people, uh, that they say the same thing. They go, Todd, you don't understand that, like, how important Spawn is. That, like, for the first time, they got to see a brother, like, in his own movie, right? Yeah. Like. Like, it just didn't happen. And so you may think that, like, ah, the movie wasn't very good or whatever. It's been 20 years and whatever. But I go, I'm telling you, Todd, like, we do this movie, this this movie, Jimmy Fox always telling me. Like, he goes, they're going to come. Like, we're going to come. We're going to come. We're going to mm-hmm. support this thing. Right? Like, it matters. And, oh, by the way, people like Spawn anyway. So it doesn't even matter. Yeah. We've got a lot of people, you know, globally that will pay attention to it. So, uh, absolutely. Anyway, we'll, I mean, we'll get it done. And, my God, dude, the, I mean, <laughs> that Kickstarter, holy mother of God. To, to watch when, I mean, when, when you first put the pictures out of that figure and what he was going to look like and stuff, I remember saying, like, saying, like, oh, God, like, of course, you have yeah. to, you have I'm to buy it. into this. I'm you got to get it. You got to yeah. get it. And then you, you know, you see the number start popping up and then it hits a million dollars in, in people of, of putting a million in. And you're like, a million dollars? Like, for a, yeah. for like, wow, like, that is, wow, we're in an amazing place. Like, when HasLab did uh, their their job as sale barge they had five thousand people put in five hundred dollars a piece and i remember yeah. that being like a big deal but right but you guys had three what 3.5 million 3.6 million yeah. somewhere Something in there like that, yeah. i mean that yeah. is extraordinary like it's yeah. insane well, 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 i mean like again i i i've never i've never done a crowdfunding thing so we were just doing it just to collect data um, the comic book industry had got shut down. That number again was in the middle of the pandemic. We're in the middle of it, but I mean, wow. the country was getting shut down, right? Yeah. So comic books, they had stopped printing, and and we weren't doing any new comic books, and things were sitting there. I'd been talking about doing a Kickstarter for a while, just because I'd sold my toys almost everywhere. I'd never tried this, so it was just sort of a, I had a, a curiosity about crowdfunding. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I, and I was at the point where I go, we got to engage the fans somehow because we just shut the, 
we shut off TV. They're not making any more TV shows. They're not making any new movies. They're not making any new comic books. Like, what, like we can't just wait for this to, to, to get settled, this thing called uh, COVID, because right. nobody knows when it's going to happen. And that was even at the beginning when people were talking about it being in months. I didn't know that to be true. I go, maybe it will be months. How do we know it won't be a year or two, right? Like yeah. we can't, yeah. so we can't do, we can't do nothing. So let's just, let's just engage them a little bit. And and uh, so I, I think that I put that I needed to hit like a yep. hundred thousand to to make it work. We hit that like in five minutes. Oh my <laughs> god! And then the the, so the million rad. hit in like twenty six hours or something. Wow. And I'm like, what? What do you th-? like? I thought if we got in all honesty, and I say this with complete sincerity. I thought if we got to half a million, we that would have been a home run. Right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I would have been dancing naked. At, at <laughs> and then, and all of a sudden, I like I wake up the next day and I'm like, what are we talking? Like, what are we doing? And then, and then you get it's this weird formula. Somebody had told me it's like you get a third at the beginning, a third in the middle, and then a third at the end. Uh, so we, we, we got the million and then they were talking about, you can get the million and a half. I'm like, no way, we're not going to get <laughs> the million and a half. Oh and then eventually we sort of got to like two-ish or something and then you know two or three days before the end of it we're sitting at you know just barely over two mm-hmm. and then yeah. all of a sudden i guess there's a bunch of procrastinators on that site i was one of those <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah it, 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 and, and it makes sense because what happens along the way i kept adding stuff right so the people at the end can say hey okay i was on the fence at 40 bucks when it was at the beginning but now he's added 10 new things to it mm-hmm. yeah yeah, sure. I'm in, and then it just—it literally at the end started spinning as fast as it did at the beginning of it. So you end up with, you know, I mean, we were hours away, and we were talking about, man, can we hit three? And 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 it, it went to three five. Like, whoa! I was—I I didn't even have anything I could add in in the next half a million because I it went so fast. I was it, I, so it, awesome. it went that quick. So well, yeah, I mean crazy. your your toys are incredible and, and the work that you've done at McFarland Toys are they're just phenomenal toys. I mean Mike Mike yeah, Black I collect uh, a bunch of your stuff, the Walking Dead stuff, the Mortal Kombat ones. Uh I just got the Mortal Kombat spawn with the uh the sword that has the spawn symbol on it it's fantastic oh, yeah. <laughs> awesome awesome and now i'm you know i know you've been doing a lot of work for dc and uh you know that's all been popping up so we gotta t- we gotta talk about uh the toys that you're doing for dc as well as just the work that you've been doing over there what's what's that been like so uh so it's it, uh it's officially called dc multiverse uh so that's what's on the packages um it's Look at I, I was going to Toy Fair for 25 years because I've been in, in the business that long, and and I I felt a little bit you know out of place. Cause I go man, every single person in here has either a piece of Marvel or DC except for me, right? Like yeah. I, I didn't I didn't even know you could skin those licenses as thin as you you could. I didn't know <laughs> <Right>. that <laughs> ceiling fan chains with logos on it was a thing. Right? <laughs> But like yep. I go, wow. And and so but eventually the the opportunity came up uh for us to get a crack at doing one of you know, the big two. Um Marvel Mar- I, you know, the, the it, it, from a guy making toys and the three are Marvel, D C and, and Star Wars, right? And yeah. I've always said, Come on, just let me do one figure in each one of those lines. Just let me do one, right? Uh just to, just so I can say that I did it and <laughs> I can walk away and I can I can 
sort of be a happy toy maker. But we ended up, uh, Mattel was doing both the sort of the mainstream toys and the collectible stuff. Uh, and then they decided that they wanted to break that up and have it to be two different people that were maybe a little bit more experienced in each one of those places instead of one person trying to do both. Uh, no. So they hired a company, Spin Master, to do the sort of the mass, you know, stuff that, uh, you know, more kid oriented sort of. And then and then and then they said, "Hey, Todd, you come in here and sort of do the sexy, right?" Yeah. Um, and so at the beginning, at the beginning, you know, there was, you know, a little bit of walking before we run, if you will, mm-hmm. uh, of, you know, having conversation about what we can and can't do and how far can we push it and whatever else and. Um, and, and so I, I thought that first wave and we all agreed there was a little bit of overlap with what spin master was doing. Yeah. And I, you know, and, and I, not that I've ever spoken to them, but, um, I, I, you know, we've had this conversation now where it's, you know, I just, given that our toys are right next to spin master, why do we want them even, why are we even picking the same looks? Mm-hmm. So, right. you know, I think we're, we're, we're sort of now, uh, all on the same page of just saying, "Hey, let's spin master do their cool stuff, classic, basically classic DC stuff." Yeah, and then I'll just do some of the some of the crazy stuff, right? Some of the super cool stuff that nobody's done, right? Versions of of costumes and characters and iterations of Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, all the big names that haven't been made yet. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And let me put those out so that when they're in the same aisle uh, with with the spin master DC multiverse figures, then they have their, their thing. And we have ours. And then you just let the consumer sort of pick what makes sense for them and their family. Uh, so yeah. that, so that's it. Uh, and then I, I think the other day I did a teaser on Instagram of a couple of figures that are coming out just to show people how sexy these toys can be. So they, <laughs> you know, I, I applaud Warner brothers who owns DC that they've, you know, started to give me a lot more leash to basically go, okay, Todd, you know, we, 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 we get what you're trying to do now. And we see that people want you to do that sort of detailed stuff that you're known for. So, so go ahead and, and go with it. So, mm-hmm. oh, okay. Now, so, and so now, now I'm basically, I, I keep telling people like, what, if you liked anything that we put out at the beginning, shoot, we're just getting warmed <laughs> up. Right. I mean, it's just, uh, cause I know what's coming down the pipeline and it's, we're, we're, we're cutting loose. We're, we're getting to cut loose now. So. Okay, so if you could, if you had a crack to do one Star Wars and one Marvel character, who would they be? Uh, Star Wars would probably be uh, uh, Darth Vader. Just because, I, yeah. I, I, you know, with the cape, I'm sort of fond of capes. And <laughs> got enough detail on them and a little bit of body language. Not, I mean, obviously there's been lots and lots and lots of people who've done good versions of it sure. uh since i started breaking in to the business uh so I, I don't know that it would be that much radically different but it I, I if i only could do one i'd start with a classic character yeah. like that um and then um from marvel marvel if i could only do one wow uh, can i can i guess can i guess yeah I- go ahead Alpha flight. Canadians. Canadians. As a Canadian superhero team. And I like that little guy, Tuck. So Tuck. You're right. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I don't know. Probably, I, I, you know, I think the one that, I, that we would do the coolest version of would be a guy like 
Thor because I just think that he's got a lot of stuff on him. He's got a cape. He's got yeah. long hair. He's got a he's got feathers. He's got a helmet. He's got armor. He's got weapons. He's got so there's a lot you can play with on a on a character like that. That's very close to what I thought you were going to say, which would have been Doctor Strange. Doctor Strange. Yeah, he he'd be like, like sometimes you get more sort of interest from the fans when you do quote unquote obscure characters uh, or yeah. not the a characters, the a triple a plus right mm-hmm. that you like in, it, like let's go back to dc multiverse our first wave the two toys that sold the most was batman in armor and um superman in armor there's yeah. a more specific name but again i'll just be generic for people who don't know uh don't read comic books but essentially they're the two biggest versions the most plastic i can put in a package right and i've told people before and the people i license with if you give nothing but a ton of plastic to people i i've never had that toy ever back up or or not not sell ever ever if people understand when you give them twice as much plastic for the same exact price well that goes back to uh malabolgia Right. Uh, right. I loved that for you. I we basically bribed a lady at Target to go in the back and find it for us right. when I was a so, kid. So, yeah. so that figure to go back uh, was was a figure that we were selling our toys for like like five ninety nine, I think, at that point. Yeah. And all of them were about six inches tall, and we made that Malbolgia figure, which is sort of like the demon from hell. Um, we made him. If you stood him up, was probably twelve to fourteen inches tall. Right? Yeah. I mean, it was giant. It was Massive. we had to fold them and articulate them and get them all the way down, and it was. And he and, still took up the whole my, package. Oh, and my CFO said, "Todd, you understand, you're going to lose a buck on each one of these." And I'm like, "Let's do it. Let's do it. Uh, we'll make it up in volume." Because yeah. you 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 spend money on advertising, right? So yeah. that's already money that you got to put off the side. I took that dollar that I was going to lose on every one of those figures mm-hmm. is advertising because yeah. we're, we're now 25 years later and you still remember that figure. Why? Because yep. it was massive. <laughs> yeah. It was massive for the same price. Right. Yeah. And that was, yeah. that was, those are the things sometimes you have to do to just, you have to get street cred. And if mm-hmm. getting street cred means that you lose money on that one play, if it works, you'll get it back in the future. Absolutely. Right. And so I just go, let's just, let's just spend it now if it works we'll 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 do it and plus you get to you get to have these great lines where you go my malbolgia craps as tall as their figure <laughs> <laughs> right right so yeah. you 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 get to have fun and it worked and it worked and people still bring up that figure as yeah. being a moment where they just want what this guy's crazy he's going to give us all this for that price <laughs> Hey, uh, real quick before we continue the show, um, I want to talk about a third-generation family-run business that I am very proud to be working with. Uh, Sennheiser is the number one, number top-tier <laughs> microphone uh, company in the world, and we are so lucky that we are now recording our show using Sennheiser microphones and their headphones. They're, it's awesome. We're, we're talking into Sennheiser MD42 microphones and using Sennheiser HD25 headphones, and these sound amazing. I mean, listen to Mike Black's voice. Listen to the rich and sumptuous soundscape that comes out of my voice. Oh. 
every time I speak into a Sennheiser. Absolutely. Go check out uh, their microphones and their sound equipment over at Sennheiser.com. All right, let's get back to the show. Now, now I have a request because uh, you do make some Major League Baseball figures, and as a redhead and a Dodger fan, is there any chance of us seeing a Justin Turner come from you someday? <laughs> He's cool because he got that beard and he just looks like a dude, right? Yeah. So uh, some of the players, uh, and I and I applied this to movies and TV shows we've done uh, of actual you know people. Um, the more character that they have about them mm-hmm. the i think the cooler the figures turn out um yeah. i've found that historically the toughest athletes celebrities to make figures of are the ones that are like super handsome or super beautiful yeah. they're just they're almost flawless they're human beings. Yeah. The, the, yeah and they're, just, they're and there's nothing when you're sculpting there there's not like you can't grab onto anything right mm-hmm. yeah. where when you do a figure of somebody who's got a beard or like they're a little they, you know, they're a little bit overweight or, you know, they're older, so they got wrinkles or they got a big nose. I don't know. Just anything. Just anything yeah. that just sort of makes it them um, is easier. And so a guy like Justin Turner, because he just is fun to look at, uh, yeah. would make would make a, a fun toy, too, because he's just he's fun to look Th- at. That's not a no. That's good. I'll take yeah, it. All right. <laughs> and, uh, and speaking and Matt, of baseball, I do yes. have to ask you about this because you're featured in the an ESPN 30 for 30 documentary that just came out about the home run chase between McGuire and Sosa in that era. And you were mm-hmm. sort of a part of that in that you were going around scooping up the baseballs that these guys were hitting. And then uh, um, mm-hmm. and you had this collection of baseballs. How did you sort of decide, hey, I want to be the guy that's going out and getting all these baseballs? I mean, obviously, you're a baseball fan and somebody who played the game. Yeah. But, like, did you have a big collection of memorabilia that you were adding to, or was this sort of, like, just nope. became your thing? No. Uh, two things. One, I have a brother, you're younger, brother, you're older. So mm-hmm. whenever you can have stuff cooler than them, you always, <laughs> you always make sure that you, yeah. you, you go after them. So I knew that they were following the, the big national mm-hmm. story of the McGuire Sosa, just like everybody else was. Mm-hmm. So I just I started asking the question literally when the season was over, like, where, where's that ball? But here's why. Here's why. Here's why I bought it. Like this is the sole big reason why I bought mm-hmm. it. There are a couple things that people will tell you in life that are actually true as truisms, mm-hmm. and one of them is stick to what you know. Um, and and so I, I only know a couple things. I, I I know I know sports. And I know comic books, and mm-hmm. then after that, I got to start talking about the weather. Uh-huh. I, I run out. Of, I run out of stuff very quickly. Yeah. Um, I was in the toy business and I was trying to make sports figures and I couldn't even get them to answer my phone. And so they just, they were like, why? Cause I was a nobody. They shouldn't have answered it. Mm-hmm. And so I needed to grab their attention. And to me, this was besides, it was a hell of a story. It was a national story. Mm-hmm. It was a way for me to grab attention so that I could then reuse that attention in a different way. And so I ended up buying the baseball to, to stupid price at an auction because yeah. me and another guy got into some bidding war and it got to some <laughs> dumb number. Yeah. Um, but then, but then it became big news and I was traveling around the country doing a bunch of, you know, a lot of, uh, news. And at some point then those phone calls then got answered, mm-hmm. uh, and were at the, at, for the sports companies and they saw the headlines and they just basically did what I was hoping they would do, mm-hmm. which is, Oh my God, this guy's got 
so much money to wipe his ass with that much to go get a baseball. He must be a a, a sports enthusiast to do that, and B, he must be a successful businessman to have that kind of money. Now, just so everybody knows, I begged Borland stole every red cent I could, <laughs> which is why I didn't want to pay that much. Which yeah, is why it yeah. bugged me that guy was uh, like bidding, and I was like, ugh. Um, so, but in short order. After that, after we made sort of the splash uh, with the news, it was us or whatever, then it was myself, that, that we signed the deal with the, with the NBA, the NFL, mm-hmm. Major League Baseball, and the NHL. And we then, I was hoping I'd get one of them. I got all four major sports to make toys. I did it for 10, 15, 20 years, and I made that money back that I spent on that ball multiple times over, right? I keep mm-hmm. saying to people, it was just buying those balls was just my ante to the poker game with these yeah. big boys. Mm-hmm. And so people want to talk about that one hand, that one hand that I was playing, which yeah. was buy the ball and are you going to ever get your money back? You got to pull the camera back like further and the microscope back further than that. That wasn't the game plan. The game plan was, and and I literally, to use another poker sort of analogy, I pushed in all my chips because <laughs> I didn't have any more money left. Yeah. If it didn't work, I was in trouble. Yeah. Uh, but it ended up working the way that I wanted. Mm-hmm. And then not only did I get those four major sports, but then that notoriety then led that we were started picking up TV and movie license and toys. And I've been doing it for 25, 30 mm-hmm. years, selling it, you know, Target, Toys R Us and Walmart and whatever Kmart when they were still around, you know, for all those years. So and if- and if all this leads to me having a Justin Turner sculpture on my shelf made by Todd McFarlane Toys, then I say your money is well worth it. Absolutely. Money well spent. Well, the, thing, the, thing, the thing that's interesting, the thing that's interesting is if you spend four million dollars on a thirty second Super Bowl ad, oh, yeah. right? Yeah. People people talk about it for a month, you know, and mm-hmm. then and then you're out, right? Right. Yeah. And here it was, you know, a few days ago you guys mentioned they did the thirty and thirty. That's almost twenty two years after the fact. Yeah, and they're right? still talking about it. And yeah. and they're still talking about it. So so I still I mean, besides I've already got my money back multiple times over from the profits of selling the toys. Mm-hmm. Um they're still talking about it. So you still get to amortize it, right? Because yeah. I was doing uh, an interview with one one group, I think T M Z or somebody, and you know, they were trying to go, Well Todd, it's three million, only worth maybe a million. We talked to experts only worth a million and whatever else and it's like you feel foolish and whatever and it's like, dude we're 22 years into it, yeah. and you're giving me live hookup on TMZ. Yep. And yesterday, you gave me a whole article on how the balls aren't worth anything. Yeah. In real life, that would have cost me a minimum of 200000 And to get five minutes on national TV, which yeah. ESPN yeah. just gave me, I go, I just got an extra half a million dollars worth of free for you guys to talk about how dumb I am. Like, please <laughs> keep talking about how dumb I am and yeah. keep giving me that free yeah. advertising because <laughs> advertising on a national level is expensive. In terms of ongoing baseball money stories, uh, the only two I can think of are you with the baseballs and Bobby Bonilla making his million dollars a year from the Mets. Those are the only two that are ongoing where people talk about him for years. <laughs> yeah, it's totally true. Bobby yeah. Bonilla. Yeah. <laughs> Bobby, Bobby Bonilla was a Spawn fan, too. Oh, FYI. well, good. I always liked Bobby Bonilla back oh, on the good. Pirates yeah. back good, in the day. Good. Yeah. All right, well, we've got uh, just a couple quick questions uh, that are uh, – 
quick questions from fans uh, from the internet from the internet these are <laughs> questions from the internet the good um, people of the internet <laughs> <laughs> from our uh, one of our uh, friends Mario Delgado he asked uh, what is your favorite character to draw that is not a superhero wow um shoot. I, I i'm i'm it's weird cuz I, I would call myself a lazy artist right uh, and a lazy artist means that I I don't do a lot of drawing that doesn't get published, right? <laughs> like I know people have like big sketchbooks, and I'm like, if I'm going to draw, shoot, I, I'm going to I'm going to get a page print. Right? I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm too I'm too pragmatic, so um, I don't I don't do non comic book stuff. Well, then let's well, take it this uh, way: maybe a character in a comic, like book. supporting character, like J. Jonah James. That's what that's that what I think what we're talking about. Yeah. Characters oh, like oh, that. like a, oh, oh, I see. Who do I like to draw that's not a superhero in the books? Yeah. Um, probably my my favorite was uh, maybe Mary Jane, Mary Jane Watson. Yeah. Uh, yeah. At, the, at that point, was married to Peter Parker, and and part of that was because when I took over the book, Amazing Spider Man years ago uh she, i thought she was in a bit of a funk it, she was a supermodel and uh but they still had her buying clothes at kmart right it was yeah. weird. <laughs> and she so, still had like so a I was 50s able haircut to, i was able to add the glam to her that hadn't been there for a while yeah uh and it made and all of a sudden people went oh my god look at how sexy she looked it was like she was a supermodel that was her job i don't know why <laughs> she didn't have her curling iron right so yeah. i gave her curling iron and makeup so and and, and a wardrobe so yeah she was fun to draw Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, from Eric Marino, he asked, uh, which members of Infinity Inc. was your favorite to draw? Wow, he's going way back in the time machine. That was the first monthly. That was the first monthly comic book I ever did. And when I got that job, I, it, it pained me enough that I was able to get on my knee and propose to my wife. So wow, uh, that's cool. We, and we, I started dating her when she was thirteen. I was sixteen. So we've we've had a good long life together. Um, the the, there's a character in there called obsidian um and and he's got a he's got a he's got dark colors i like dark colors and he's got a big cape on him so he's he's got a little bit of a cool sort of spawn vibe in blue very much so yeah yeah oh that's cool very similar look um here's a a question from our friend kipper he wrote in and said uh it's a well-known fact that fellow image comic founder rob liefeld has trouble drawing feet is there any slightly (laughs) is there any other slightly lesser known quirks about uh in the artist and creator community any anything that that is that you guys kind of maybe tease each other about uh i you know what i think we all understand our own uh weaknesses i've got plenty of them right my anatomy is not very good uh it probably was a thing that helped on spider-man that when he became spider-man i i didn't care about anatomy you know at first people go todd the human body can't go like that and i'm like yeah but look how cool it is though right yeah look super look super cool right um so and, and again we're just doing big fantasy stuff uh we don't do that we had a saying when we broke into comic books one of the first things i got taught was uh if in doubt black it out right and what that essentially meant was if you don't know how to draw it hide it right hide it uh <laughs> yeah. so so the blackout meant like put a shadow over it but it all it also meant if you can't draw feet, make sure they're standing in grass all the time. If you can't draw hands, <laughs> make sure they're, they're holding a bowling ball or something. Like you always make sure you stay away 
from your from your weaknesses. So, and we 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 all we all we all have them. So, uh, Rob. Rob has got chided more than he probably deserves. I know. No, he's he's a he's a brilliant. <laughs> well, he got a, a lot about uh, putting so many pouches on characters. Oh yeah. And then yeah. he fi- finally released on Instagram a character called Pouch Man that was just all pouches. <laughs> ah, really? Yeah. Oh, that's so yeah. great. Oh, yeah, yeah, super cool. Oh, well, I and mean, look at remember earlier in this conversation, I was saying you got to advocate for yourself. Yeah. Cause, right. Rob Rob Liefeld, I think, is a glowing example of somebody who he'd be the first to admit isn't the greatest artist, but that dude is a hustler. He has gotten Mm -hmm. more mileage out of his skills than other people there. He he is, he has gotten further in his career than arguably he, he should compared to, (laughs) and myself included, you know, because Mm -hmm. I, I, I don't consider myself that good of an artist. When I look at the talent that's out there, but they just don't want to hustle. Rob and I hustle, right? Yeah. We just go, all right, if you guys don't want to bust, then we'll bust it, right? So yeah. this is it. This is the piece where it's like, shame on you guys, because you guys actually draw and gals draw better than us, but you don't want to basically put in the hard work of, of the hustle and, and, and doing the pages and doing some of the other stuff that gets you to where we're at. You want you want sort of the notoriety, but you don't want to basically sort of dig the, the hole you know, as deep as we've dug it because yeah. that's manual labor. So oh, good yeah. on, good on Rob. I'm, I'm quite proud. Mm-hmm. No, of No, I know we're, we're big fans of him too. Um, yeah. uh, Brian Rowe, uh, and Rob Eves, both, uh, Rob Eves from, uh, who's in Norway. Both guys asked the same question, which is, is clown man based off of a, if, of any human being? Is it based off of a real person? The, uh, no. Okay. No. Right. No, no, the, the, he, it was, it was, he can't, he, I knew that I was going to have the violator was going to be this big gnarly guy. And I wanted something that was the complete opposite of it. So I go, Hey, what if I just do the little fat out of shape guy who jokes all the time. So he'll seem to be the least threatening guy, uh, that will be on the page. And then all of a sudden, you know, it's sort of like the Hulk. If you get him sort of mad, then all of a sudden, then he turns into sort of this, formidable character i mean i recently have evolved the clown so that he's now you know six foot two and he's he sort of looks more like kingpin or something like that um so that because i wanted to i wanted to take away the the silliness of him and make him way more formidable even when he's not the violator um but Mm -hmm. but now he 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 i don't i don't i don't I'm not making fun of anybody all, there. All Although I, I, there are a few people I could Photoshop and get close to it. <laughs> yeah, no. All right, and then the the last uh, question that we'll ask uh, from from our fan people out here is from the Play with It podcast show. They asked, uh, "Is there a possibility of in the future of doing another Kickstarter figure, and and who would it be? Who do you think it might be?" Uh, yeah, I'll do another one. Again, I don't know if I'll necessarily do Kickstarter, go to another crowdfunding, or just do it on Spawn.com itself. Um, and we've had the conversation because my eyes have been opened up to there's a lot of possibilities, right? You can do yeah. like little tiny figures that then swap out for your uh, Dungeons & Dragons. And mm-hmm. you, I could do board games. We're talking about board games now that I think would be a big winner because that seems to work. And then, you know, we'll talk about like bringing back like, our dragons 
figures and maybe tortured souls and movie maniacs, some of the stuff that put us on the map early. Yeah. But but my guess is that the next one will be probably like medieval spawn. And the reason I say that yeah. is because I can I can make pieces of him out of metal and I can give him like four or five helmets and I can even make one hinged so that you can see inside and I could give him like five shields and four swords and maces and axes and it just seems like there's a lot of fun and then all the detail I can put maybe interchangeable chest plates and stuff like that there's a lot I could do with that character that isn't necessarily there with a character like Spawn. I'm already um, pre-ordering so. it. <laughs> <laughs> Although I was talking, I was talking to J. Scott Gamble. I don't know if you know his artwork. Yeah. Uh, he does the, the pretty lady stuff, and he did this two-page spread for me in issue 300 of Spawn of uh, She Spawn with this big motorcycle. Oh yeah. So he he phoned me the other day, going, Todd, what are we doing? We could do She Spawn with the motorcycle Kickstarter, right? So that one would just look. Badass. Well, I was going to say, right if you now. do the medieval spawn, would you do the horse as well? I, I, we've talked about it. The problem is that it it adds a cost of yeah. which maybe the horse, like if you if you say to people, hey, would you rather add an extra twenty bucks and get the horse, or would you rather add an extra five bucks and get like a hundred different extra pieces? Right. Yeah. My guess is that people go, I could live without the horse for now. Right. They just right. want they just want a bunch of cool stuff to go with with their with their guy. So, um, you know, especially if I can figure out how to do interchangeable uh, armor and stuff like that, gauntlets and, and, and uh, gloves and boots and stuff like that. Oh, so yeah, I think that, that would, would be a little really more cool, a little more fun. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Well, uh, I, I got to say, uh Todd McFarlane, I, I've been a fan of you my whole life, and uh, it is an unbelievable honor to, to be able to to get to, to chat with you today. So thank you again so yeah, much for doing you. this. Uh, how can people uh, find you on the social media? Do you know? Do you want to tell them your uh, your Instagram and stuff like that? Yeah, I do. I think we're on the we're on the the obvious places: Facebook, Twitter, and uh, and and Instagram, and then you know put up a bunch of stuff on Spawn.com. So. Um, yeah, you just, I think you just type in my name and you get there fairly quickly mm -hmm. on any of those social, social places. So cool. Awesome. Uh, Mike Black, where can people find you at Mike Black attack on all social media? Oh yeah, and you got to see some of the uh, the toy pictures and uh, stuff that you you've been posting is oh, just. Oh yeah, uh, I just did a spawn one with the Mortal Kombat spawn. Oh yeah, that, yeah. that's awesome. Uh, and uh, Matt Walker, where can people find you? Uh, links to everything at funnymat.com, or if you're a San Francisco Giants fan, you can let me know at mattwalkersucks.com. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. That's a real website, and you can always get me at Stephen Glickman, S T E P H E N Glickman, on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok. Don't forget to subscribe to the Nighttime Show podcast. Podcast. Thank you so much, Todd McFarlane. You are a fucking legend. All right. Thanks for having me, Thank gentlemen. You. I appreciate your time. See you Bye. soon. Yeah.